got an answer for the Big 12 football season. Sort of, maybe, kind of, I don't know at this point. It's Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you. So, And please, guys, do take a moment out. Leave us that rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us tremendously, really does. And uh, we'd appreciate it greatly if you would do that. We've got a, a new batch of Heartland College Sports koozies. And we'll send you one if you leave us a rating and review and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate that. The Big 12 presidents on Monday night, chancellors as well, approved a scheduling model for the upcoming season that will include nine conference games and one non-conference game. The league confirmed that once again. That was on uh, Monday night. Now, here's the deal. The start of conference play is probably going to start in mid to late September. And then the conference championship game could be pushed back to December 12th or even the 19th. This is smart. It's the right play by the conference. And, you know, I'm somebody, if you've been listening to this show, you know I'm somebody who believes that college football should be played. And frankly, all sports should be played because of the incredibly low risk that, you know, these young athletes have uh, to this COVID-19. Now, it doesn't take away from the severity of what can come out of this disease, all right, and this virus. I'm not doing that for a second. If you've got older coaches who have, you know, immune deficiencies, different story, got to make sure everybody's being safe. But with that being said, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NFL, hockey, the NBA, college football, I do believe when you weigh the risk and reward, it makes sense. Now, I also think that players should be able to opt out, right? Players can make their own calls. Nobody should be forcing them to do anything. But I think when you look at the data and you don't take a hysterical approach at this, college football should be played. That being said, I'm all for, you know, extending the season, creating flexibility in the schedule and saying, let's look at this and determine what is the best model for 2020, given how unusual this year is going to be. And if it means a mid-September start uh, and a mid-December finish with some bye weeks mixed in that way you know if you have to reschedule a game if half the offensive starters test positive then so be it that's the right move so I wanted to see the 12 game schedule and you know I was crossing my fingers for that as I know many of you were but all in all if you're able to tell me today that Pete we're going to play a 10 game season starting in mid-September and running through mid-December I mean sign me up (laughs) Sign me up today for that. That's what we want to see. All right? So uh, that's what's going on right now, and that's where we stand on the Big 12 scheduling, and it was a no-brainer. They had lost a bunch of their non-conference games already because of the decisions by the other Power 5 conferences. But I think this also brings up an interesting conversation in terms of what happens with the Power 5 and the NCAA. Now, Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports says that the Power Five, who have always, especially lately, thumbed their nose down at the NCAA, are sitting here and wondering, uh, what the heck do we do with the NCAA? The NCAA has basically become useless to the Power Five. All they do is set the rules and regulations. That's about it. And according to Dennis Dodd, uh, he says that the Power Five conferences 
who have always felt like they could create a model that exceeds what is in place with the NCAA has had more conversations than ever about a possible breakup. And there's a lot of things that COVID has expedited in our lives, right? A lot of things. And I hope some of these things are here to stay. Things like people, oh, I don't know, washing their hands more often, especially during flu season, right? Like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, more hygiene, more safety. I go to the gym, and people are cleaning up their gym equipment more than I've ever seen. If those kinds of things hold, great. It's a good thing. But the other long-term ramifications include things like if the Power Five and the NCAA were always going to break apart, COVID may have expedited this. And a big part of me believes that's exactly what's happening here. It may not be tomorrow, next week, next month. Heck, maybe not even next year because a plan does have to be in place. And let's be honest, the Power Fives have to agree on something as well. And they're not always on the same page. All right? They're, they're not. There's a lot of uh, moving and shaking going on, a lot of headbutting going on, a lot of big egos involved here. So there's no doubt that that has got to be figured out first. But do I see a future without the NCAA for major college athletics? I do. I absolutely do. Remember this. The NCAA has nothing to do with the TV contracts. As Dodd noted, it has been over 35 years in the making. 1984 Supreme Court decision that allowed the schools to control football television rights. That is the day, 36 years ago, that the NCAA's iron grip on college sports began to slip. The eventual windfall in revenue led to an explosion in TV media rights, fueled conference realignment, and created the facilities arms race that we are in today. So this is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. It's a matter of how. It's no longer a matter of if. And this is a chance for the NCAA to shine, for Mark Emmert, the NCAA, to shine. But all they do, it seems like, is throw in a big basketball tournament every year, make hundreds of millions of dollars off of it, and, you know, then kind of just do rules and regulations and kind of bureaucratic BS. That's what it seems like the NCAA does. And I don't blame the Power Fives for saying, um, we can probably do this better than you guys. So let's, uh, let's start that conversation. Once again, it's not a next week or a next month thing. It's not. It is longer than that. But it at least is a conversation that will be had more in depth than it's ever been had. No doubt about it. No doubt in my mind. Now let's go to uh, Fort Worth for a few minutes. Uh, Gary Patterson has had himself a tough week. And, and here's what happened in case you have uh, missed it. So on Monday, former TCU defensive back Nico Small alleged that Gary Patterson had uh, once used a racial slur in uh, a team meeting or a conversation. That tweet has since been deleted. But then came another story from TCU linebacker Dylan Jordan. And he said that the team refused to show up at practice on Monday due to an alleged altercation that he had with Coach Patterson. Dylan Jordan, the linebacker, he said that uh, this past Sunday was our third practice of fall camp. Coach Patterson called me out for posting my girlfriend on National Girlfriend Day in front of the defense. As practice moved on, he approached me and I told him, you should have just asked me about it. He then said, you're an effing brat. I'll send you back to Pitt. 
I said, for what? I ain't did nothing. He followed with, you've been saying N-words in meeting rooms. This morning, I showed up for practice, and multiple players approached me and asked if it was true. I told them yes and how everything happened. We refused to go to practice uh, this morning, and he came to the locker room and said, I wasn't calling him an N-word. And apparently, once again, Patterson used the N-word, both in his private conversation with Dylan Jordan, and then also again saying, I wasn't calling him the N-word, but actually saying the N-word. He goes on to say, this is uh, Dylan Jordan on social media. This behavior is not okay now or ever, and there needs to be repercussions to these actions. This tweet got 4,000 retweets and 13,000 likes. Now, it is inexcusable to use that word. There's no doubt about it. And I will never defend anybody using that word. Let me make that incredibly clear. But we have to put this story in context, okay? Gary Patterson should have, if this is how the story went down, Gary Patterson should have said, you know, Dylan, I don't like you using the N-word in meeting rooms, okay? And and obviously say the N-word, don't actually say the word, if that makes sense. I'm not going to say it, obviously. So Gary Patterson allegedly said the word when he said to Dylan Jordan, you've been saying bleep in the meeting room. He should have said to Dylan Jordan, you've been using the N-word. I don't want that word being used in my meeting room. And call it the N-word. Absolutely. That's how he should say it. And then the next day after this, you know, alleged incident where the players don't show up at practice, he came to the locker room and said, I was not calling Dylan an N-word. Once again, refer to it as the N-word. Don't actually use the word, right? Like that's kind of one-on-one stuff. Um, that Gary Patterson clearly had a brain fart, to put it politely. But this idea that somehow, you know, Dylan Jordan is on there on social media, this behavior is not okay now or ever, and there needs to be repercussions to these actions. Like, I'm all for player empowerment, but with all due respect, young man, put it in context and use your head and understand that Gary Patterson's been doing this for 20 years. He had a bunch of players come out in his defense yesterday, by the way, or this week, throughout the entire week, he's had players come out in his defense. So how about we put this into some perspective? Right? Why does this not get that kind of attention? Like, I'm all for everybody doing what is right, okay, and making sure that, yes, Coaches and everybody were all held responsible. But when I first saw the story, I I, I was like, wait, what am I missing here? Yes, Gary Patterson should have referred to it as the N-word and not said the word itself. But this is a context story that desperately needs it. And that's all I'm going to say on that one right now. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. You can read more on the site. Coming up, we'll talk about this and much more with Matthew Postens, our Heartland College Sports contributor, coming up next. Well, let's now welcome on and say hello to Matthew Postens, joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. And a lot to get into with Matthew. And, Matthew, let's start here. Big 12 this week announces it is moving from a 12-game schedule to a 10-game schedule. It seemed inevitable, 
But what do you make of this move by the Big 12 presidents and how it's likely to play out? Well, I think you're right. It was inevitable. It was really the only move they could make. Um, they lost all their uh, Power 5 crossover games. You know, Oklahoma had to cancel its game with Tennessee. Texas has had to cancel its game with LSU. Um, really doesn't make a lot of sense for them to try and cobble together a 12-game schedule with a bunch of Group of 5 programs or even SCS programs, even though the NCAA has given them the freedom to do that through waivers. Um, this just seems to be the most thing that makes the most sense. Keep it tight. Give them a chance to play one non-conference game. I like the idea of them being able to play in zero week and then maybe have a couple weeks break to where – they can hop into conference play that way. That way everybody gets a little opportunity to kind of work the kinks out uh, that first week before they actually have to hop into conference play. Um, Otherwise, I also like the fact that they've given them some buffer time at the end of the year to play the conference championship as late as December the 19th. Uh, That would be a really odd thing to see uh, college football conference championship game the weekend before Christmas. But you know, with everything going on, I think giving the conference as much flexibility as they can possibly have to put a good schedule together and to be able to do it in a way that's you know, safe and can still allow for a competitive race to the conference championship, it's about the best, uh, about, that, about the best you can hope for at this point. I would agree, and I think flexibility is key. The 10 games, I think, obviously creates more of that. So does the potentially expanded season. Matthew, is there a team or a program that you think the bizarre nature that the season is going to take on helps, if any at all? Is, is there a program or a couple of programs that you think that this whole bizarreness benefits? Uh, I think it actually kind of benefits the front runners. Uh, when you think about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, and teams like that, teams that know who they are and know what they have, uh, they're the ones that I think are going to, are going to benefit more from this. You know, we've seen teams kind of surge at the end of the year, and that's usually because they get the opportunity to play three or four non-conference games and work those bugs out and kind of build momentum as the conference schedule continues. You're not really going to have that opportunity this year. So for those teams that are, you know, we're not really sure about, like TCU, like um, uh, Baylor, like uh, even Texas Tech, schools like that, I don't think this is really going to benefit them too much because, uh, they don't know what they have. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, even Texas, they know what they have. They they know how to implement it. They've got a lot of consistency in their coaching staffs and in their player, uh, players on their team. I think it's really going to benefit the front runners more than the teams that might uh, uh, reach up and bite those front runners as the season progresses. Matthew Poston's joining us. And Matthew, I mean, think about the new head coaches across the country. There's only one in the Big 12 in Dave Aranda, but how much do you think it sets back any new head coach? But, you know, in our case, talk about the Baylor Bears, and you're a new coach, brand new program, and in Aranda's case, first-time head coach. Uh, this uh, this really, I think, can, uh, can slow the momentum of trying to get that program running under your guidance. That's a tough scenario. Absolutely. When you think about Dave Aranda, he took the job in January after LSU won the championship, um, really only got about two months with his players and didn't even get on the field for spring football. So he really hasn't seen his players in anything more than shorts and T-shirts and, and running sprints and in the meeting room going through the playbook. Not to say that they haven't been doing things on their own. You know, the players have reading playbooks, working out and things like that since March. But no football activities, really. Just, you know, workouts, optional workouts where they can come to campus and work out, things like that. I, I'm not sure exactly when they're going to start practices. 
for the fall at this point, now that they've got to redo the schedule and everything like that. But you have to imagine if some teams are going to play zero-week games, it's going to be pretty soon. And for a guy like Dave Aranda, that really does put him at a disadvantage. Obviously, Matt Rule left him a lot more than Art Bryles left Matt Rule in that scenario Mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. But there's still a lot to work through when you're a first-year head coach and a first-time head coach with a new program. And that really does set him back and really anybody else that took a program over uh, this offseason. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, what do you think, Matthew, should happen here when we talk about the postseason, college football playoff? I mean, what should that look like when we're going to have no Power 5 non-conference games? That's going to be a really interesting it's going to be really interesting. The NCAA is already talking about giving bowl games flexibility, but here's the thing you got to remember. The NCAA doesn't run the college football playoff. The college football playoff runs the college football playoff. In fact, the NCAA has nothing to do with the FBS postseason. So they're not going to have a say as to how they conduct the postseason, whether they conduct the postseason or anything like that when it comes to FBS. When you think about the fact that these conferences are basically going to be self-contained, the real possibility exists. It's remote, but the real possibility exists that all five conferences could have an undefeated champion. And think about the scenario that the committee would have to go through if you have five undefeated champions and you have four playoff spots. I don't see them expanding the playoff because I think they'd be worried about the health concerns related to COVID and everything else. So if that scenario transpires, you talk about the things that might trigger the committee to eventually go to an 18 playoff that might do it. You know, Matthew, there was also a chatter this week and and wrote about it on the site about how the Power Fives, this could expedite the process of the Power Five conferences potentially breaking off from the NCAA. Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports had it first. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you think the future of the relationship is between these Power Five programs and conferences and the NCAA? You know, this is actually a bigger conversation than just Power 5 and NCAA. But to distill it down to this, when it comes to Power 5, FBS college football, all the NCAA really does is oversight for recruiting and rules. That's all they really do. They're not involved in TV negotiations. They're not involved in conference scheduling. They're not involved in any of that like they are with FCS, D2, D3, because they control the postseason there. They don't control the postseason in FBS. So they can basically do what they want to do. Uh, If the Power Five and Notre Dame were to spin off into their own entity one day, I could totally see that happening because the NCAA really doesn't do much for them in that scenario. But this conversation is bigger than this. It's not just Power Five versus NCAA. It's about player empowerment. You're seeing it all over the country now. Chubba Hubbard calling out Mike Gundy. Uh, Gary Patterson having to apologize on Tuesday for using the N-word in a meeting. Uh, No matter the context, that's going to get a coach called out and players walked out of that meeting that day. You've got the Pac-12 Players United who are demanding a lot of things from the Pac-12 that they won't play this year. The Nick Lolovich and Brolio in Washington State. You have players now who feel empowered to speak up where they weren't empowered two or three years ago. And that has the potential to dramatically change the landscape of college sports as we know it. And then you have name, image, and likeness. Mark Emmert was on Capitol Hill two weeks ago to talk about the fact that You know, they need legislation on this. You don't need legislation on this. If you're the NCAA and you run the sport, you can do this yourself. But nobody in the NCAA wants to touch this. So if you want to talk about another issue that could, you know, dramatically change the landscape, name, image, and likeness is another one of those issues where the Power Five could just say, you know what, we're going to do this for our players, 
we're going to further empower them to live their lives, to make a little money on the side while they're playing college sports. And we're going to go off on our own. And then the NCAA is going to be left flailing with these smaller schools. And maybe they'll be able to manage that. But when you think about what they have to offer the Power Five especially, it's not a lot. All they do is throw on the big basketball tournament every year, and that's basically one big party. I mean, it seems like that's what 90% of their efforts go towards. That is their only moneymaker, if we're just being totally honest. They make the lion's share of their revenue in the NCAA off of March Madness. That is where they make the lion's share of their revenue, TV money, sponsorship, et cetera. That is their one big event. It funds everything within the NCAA. You saw what happened when they lost that in March. A lot of their revenue went away. Lose that again, say, next March, or you lose the Power Five going off into their own tournament for basketball, that, that's a huge hit for the NCAA. It is. It is. Matthew Postens is joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Always great to get his insight, get his perspective on what's happening in the world of uh, college football, college sports, and in our case, the Big 12. Matthew, thanks so much for being here. Always appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, Pete. As we wrap up the show, some final thoughts as another conference is looking for some big bucks. We'll explain coming up next. Final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Great to be here with you as we are hopefully getting closer to a Big 12 football season. We have some clarity now with everything happening as the Big 12 has approved a 10-game schedule, nine conference games, one non-conference for the upcoming season. So uh, big news there this week. Now, on another note, uh, outside of the Big 12, because there's just so much happening in the world of college football right now, uh, Pac-12 players have threatened to sit out the 2020 college football season. Uh, they have been a long list of demands from uh, Pac-12 players, and it was part of an open letter where players listed four demands to protect and benefit scholarship and walk-on athletes. The four points include health and safety protections, protect all sports and racial injustice in college sports, and society and economic freedom and equality. In the economic freedom and, equi and equity, I should say, players demand that 50% of each sport's total conference revenue be distributed evenly amongst athletes in their sport. So uh, let's just look at that for a second here. Football obviously makes an enormous amount of money, but the first thing that needs to be noted is that revenue and profits are two very different things, and I would like each one of these players who signed on to this to take an Econ 101 course first and then come back and let's have that discussion, right? Because if you understand the model of college sports, Football and, to a lesser extent, basketball, basically funds everything else on campus. Everything else on campus. Title IX, by the way, requires these conferences for, once again, you want to talk about equity, right? It, it forces these conferences and these colleges to make sure that they are giving away scholarships to female athletes as well. That way, it's not just about, you know, the star football players getting scholarships and nobody else because, for the most part, the other sports don't make any money, at least profit-wise. They don't make any money. The football team and the money from the football team basically funds the rest of that, funds all of it. So you've got to understand the, the model of college athletics here. So if the college football players want to say, hey, it's BS that, you know, our sport that we play 
is funding, uh, you know, volleyball and men's track and, you know, swimming, men's and women's. And we think that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're wrong. There's actually a case to be made there, right? But it's the federal government that has gone ahead with Title IX and has said no in the sake of equality and in the sake of your word, Pac-12 players, equity. We want to make sure that women athletes and then men athletes in non-revenue sports have these same opportunities. But obviously, it's more geared towards the women's side of things. So you guys got to understand that model before you say, well, half of revenues. And by the way, the, the swimmers who are on half or quarter or whatever, maybe once in a while, a full scholarship, they're never making that money back in revenues. Like, college swim meets don't make a lot of money. And as I, I say this as somebody who ran track in high school, who had an opportunity to do it in college, decided not to, um, I, I say that as somebody that loved my non-revenue sports. I loved them. But it's supply and demand. It's the free marketplace at work. And you know what? That's just, that's just the deal. So... When I see this from the Pac-12 players, I'm like, okay, I don't really get that. Um, also, the players demanded uh, guaranteed medical expense coverage, freedom to secure representation, and earn name, image, and likeness money, six-year athletic scholarships, undergraduate and graduate degree completion, elimination of all policies restricting free speech and charitable work beyond mandatory athletics participation, a one-time transfer rule with immediate eligibility, a retainment of eligibility after participation in a pro draft and going unselected and uh, due process rights. Now, some of that stuff I'm fine with, right? Yeah, I think that football players uh, should be able to get a graduate degree at that university after, you know, spending four or five years giving up their bodies on the football side. Name, image, likeness, no issue there either. A one-time transfer rule with immediate eligibility, absolutely on board with that. I mean, coaches do it all the time. Why can't players do it once? No issue there. Those are the things that I can uh, get behind, for sure. I can absolutely get behind that. Uh, elimination of all policies restricting free speech. I, that I got to see the details there to know whether or not that means you know when they're in uniform. I mean, if if you want to do something on your own time, free speech wise, uh, protest, uh, a group you want to volunteer with. I mean, be my guest in the uniform. Yeah, it's a different story, right? Different story. Now, the racial injustice thing also has um, some demands here. Form a permanent civic engagement task force made up of our leaders, experts of our choice, and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and in society. And that's where I just say, okay, um, I'm sorry, but there's no greater way to cut through racial injustice than college sports. If you are a hell of an athlete, you are going to have multiple offers. Unless there's something in your personal background that is scaring teams off, you will have opportunities, no matter what your color is. So the racial justice stuff, I mean, I, to me, that's more fluff than anything else because right now it exists. If you're a hell of a high school athlete, Odds are you're going to get noticed and you're going to have opportunities. And that's good. That's great, by the way. I want that. I want more of that for, for everybody. 
But to me, that's not a massive issue that is facing, you know, college athletics today. I just, I don't see that. So there's some good. There's, I think, a lot not so good in these Pac-12 demands. But no doubt, as Matthew Poston said earlier, player empowerment is the name of the game right now. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Always great to have you joining us here. And before you close out, leave us that rating, review, subscribe. We've got new Heartland College Sports koozies we are putting in the mail for you. If you leave us that rating and review and send me a screenshot of the rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week.